Okay, hello everybody, this is SD Falchetti, and you are listening to the Hayden's World Podcast. If you've been following the podcast, you'll know that I have a new story in the Hayden's World series called Bernard's Dream. It is the eighth story in the series, and you can find it on the Amazon store as both an ebook and a paperback. I've been reading scenes from that book here on the podcast, and today I'll read the ending content, which is the real-life science that inspired the story. It is perhaps surprising that after 2,000 years of humans finding and naming stars, half of our sun's closest neighbors were named in 2013. We waited so long to name them because we couldn't see them, at least not until NASA launched the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, WISE, in December 2009. WISE operated from 2009 to 2011, discovering thousands of minor planets and star clusters, taking a nap for two years, then awakening in 2013 as the Near-Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, NEOWISE. If you, like me, were excited at the spot, comment C2020F3NEOWISE in the summer of 2020, you know who to thank for the heads up. During its time, WISE discovered eight brown dwarf stars within 20 light years of Earth. On the spectrum of star classifications, brown dwarfs are notched down from red dwarfs. Unlike main-sequence stars such as our Sun that get their energy from hydrogen fusion, brown dwarfs are not massive enough to fuse hydrogen. The largest brown dwarfs can fuse deuterium or lithium, and the smallest can't fuse anything. Those that can't fuse get their heat solely from their formation. Because the color and brightness of a star are related to heat, the smallest brown dwarfs are very dim. This is why we couldn't see our neighbors until Wise came along. In 2013, astronomer Kevin Lumen, a researcher at Penn State's Center for Exoplanets and Habitable Worlds, announced two brown dwarfs located 6.5 light-years from the Sun. He found these in images taken by WISE in 2010 and 2011. The brown dwarfs were given the official designation WISE 1049-5319 and WISE J104915.57-5319.06.1 later Eric E. Mamajek proposed simply calling them Lumen 16, after their discoverer. Imagine taking 30 Jupiters and squishing them into the size of one Jupiter. This is what Lumen 16 is like. The first star, Lumen 16a, weighs in at 33.5 Jupiters, but is only 85% the size of Jupiter. Its cooler planet, Lumen 16b, is 28.6 Jupiters at 104% the size of Jupiter. What's interesting is that we have evidence of uneven illumination coming from Lumen. Astronomers theorize that these are iron clouds raining molten iron. Star weather. Although we don't have any information about Lumen's planets, one can imagine that if the stars are like Jupiter, but more massive, they might have a moon system like Jupiter's, but with larger worlds. Some of Jupiter's moons are larger than Mercury. So it's easy to see how you could end up with Mars or Earth-sized worlds, around something 30 times as massive as Jupiter. Worlds in close orbits to their parent star are likely to be tidally locked. Indeed, our own moon is tidally locked to Earth. To understand tidal locking, find a Weeble Wobble. Weebles were an egg-shaped 1970s toy that could not be knocked over. Their center of gravity was at the bottom of the egg, so any attempts to tilt them would result in self-righting by gravity. Similarly, worlds usually aren't perfect spheres and may have bulging middles. Like Weebles, with enough wobbles, these worlds will tend to self-center, resulting in the same spot always pointing down towards what they orbit. Note this doesn't mean that they no longer rotate. Our moon still rotates. We don't notice it because it's always facing us. Imagine you walked in a circle around a friend, 
but kept turning your body so that you were always facing him. You were rotating, but your friend will always be looking at your face. That's what tidal locking looks like. One of the consequences of tidal locking is that one side of the planet gets roasted and the other gets frozen. Our weather is driven by temperature differentials on Earth, so tidally locked world probably has some extreme weather at the transition between furnace and freezer. Worlds can be tidally locked, but not always have the same side facing their host. Mercury has a 3 to 2 resonance, which means it rotates 3 times for every 2 trips around the Sun. In Bernard's dream, Sisius, Nesso, and Ianthi are tidally locked with the same side facing Lumen. But Sao has a 5 to 2 resonance. Because of this, Sao has day and night cycles that move heat and energy around the planet, creating an environment the silver stars find interesting. Nesso's oxygen, at first, is a bit of a mystery. Earth started with almost no atmosphere. As Earth cooled, volcanic activity spewed methane and carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. It wasn't until photosynthesis evolved that Earth slowly accumulated oxygen. As we search for exoplanets and see the spectrums of worlds, we look for oxygen as a marker for life. Yet, there are ways planets can get oxygen without life. Good old H2O is just two hydrogen atoms bonded with an oxygen atom, and the energy of a sunbeam may be enough to split it. If you've ever bought a tube of titanium white oil paint, you've purchased some titanium dioxide, which is the main component of brutile sand. The interesting thing about titanium dioxide is that it is a catalyst for the water-sunbeam split. Take some water, some brutile sand, a bit of sunlight, add some time, and voila, oxygen you may end up with an atmosphere that has even more oxygen than Earth's. So why, then, did Earth have to wait for photosynthesis? It's because Earth drew the short straw for rutile sand. If you collected all the rutile sand on planet Earth, it would be less than 250 square kilometers. Nesso, on the other hand, has endless beaches of the stuff. Language will be an inevitable barrier whenever we make first contact. Humans speak 6,500 languages. Some have rules that seem quite alien. For example, Archie, spoken in Russia, has over a million conjugations for a verb. Silbo Gamero is a language of whistles. Zosa and Ta have clicks for consonants. Perea has no words for numbers. Tuyuka has a hundred genders. Chaukatango Mixtec doesn't have a way to ask yes-no questions. Chinese and Japanese both use the same written characters for words, but have entirely different spoken languages, so speakers can communicate clearly in writing, but not orally. In Bernard's dream, Willow mentions a few linguistic terms. There are terms for the components of written language, and separate terms for spoken language. For spoken language, the smallest meaningful unit of speech is a morpheme. The letter C is not a morpheme, because it carries no meaning, but the word cat is a morpheme. The letter S is also a morpheme, because it carries the meaning of plurality, as in cats. Individual sounds, such as the C sound in cats, are phonemes. Morphemes are constructed from phonemes. In written language, the counterpart of a phoneme is a grapheme. Graphemes might be one letter, such as the C, representing the K sound in cats, or more than one letter, like the EA in leaf, representing the E sound. Anyone who's tried to learn English knows the frustration that comes from the EA in leaf being pronounced differently than the EA in bread. And that's just English. Scale this up to alien languages, and the real fun begins. At the end of the story, the climax resolves around an engineering problem. A quarter kilometer ice block is very heavy. 
the numbers that Hitoshi kicks around are in millions of kilograms. For those that live in the United States, like me, who are used to pounds, 1 million kilograms is 2.2 million pounds. It's a little hard to wrap your head around numbers of this magnitude. For example, a fully loaded 747 is not quite a million pounds. An empty space shuttle weighs 165,000 pounds. Its rocket boosters and main tank are just under half a million pounds. Like most rockets, the fuel is the main culprit, weighing 20 times as much as the shuttle and the boosters. Everything adds up to 4.4 million pounds. That's still half as much as one of the star's blocks of ice. So you could see why Hitoshi was stressed out about lifting one. I hope you enjoyed the science of the story and the sneak peek at the tidbits I found interesting when writing Bernard's stream. Thanks as always for following along with me on the Hayden's World podcast. Be sure to check out the Amazon store if you like what you hear and would like to read Bernard's dream. If you like audio content, the first book in the Hayden's World series, 43 Seconds, is available as an audiobook and narrated by the professional and very talented Shaman Casey. You can find it on Audible or any place where audiobooks are sold. So as James Hayden would say, keep dreaming big, everyone.